Welcome to Magical Storybook English Nanny Bedtime Stories, a collection of ancient fairy tales and folklore from around the world. Today's story is an old Aboriginal folklore tale from Australia, adapted and read by Rhianna Meehan. The Girl Who Found the Moon A long time ago, a tribe of Aboriginal people lived in a great forest. They were called the Baringa tribe. They lived very well, for on one side of their village was the sea, and behind them was a forest which had plenty of animals giving them food and clothing. They respected the land and nothing was wasted. Even the bones of the fish that they caught and ate were used to make sharp spear tips and other weapons. Beyond the forest was a range of steep, rugged mountains, full of slippery paths and deep, dangerous ravines. No enemy tribes ever dared risk their lives to cross them, so the Baringa village lived in peace. The chief of the Baringas was called Wadaro. He was a tall, quiet man who was very proud of his people and his land. He had six strong sons and a strong daughter, who was called Miraga. Miraga was a young, lively woman whose eyes were full of light. Her father would say that they were like the dawn sun reflecting on the surface of the sea. She would sing as she walked around the camp, and she was so happy and kind that the Baringa children would follow her, gifting her blossoms of red fuchsias, which she would weave into her glossy black hair. While most of the tribe regarded animals of the bush as a source of food and clothing, Miraga saw them as friends. When they realised that she meant them no harm, the wild animals became tame around her, and so she would spend hours playing with the kangaroo rats, the bandicoots and the mice. She would beg the tribe not to eat the animals that she so dearly loved, and because her people loved her, they would agree to find other things to eat instead. Now, far away from the Baringa village, way beyond the mountains, lived the Burin tribe, a fierce group of warriors. They had heard all about the rich resources that the Baringa tribe had, and they grew jealous. Eventually, they decided that they would take the Baringa tribe's land for themselves. Their chief told his son, who was called Yurong, to lead a party of the tribe's strongest men over the mountains and to report back how many strong warriors the Baringa village had. Yurong was not only the chief's son, but he was the strongest of the tribe and the most cruel. He knew where all the safe tracks on the mountain were, so his warriors crossed over without much trouble. They travelled for days, hiding in the gullies when the sun rose to avoid being seen and making up the time at night. On they went, until eventually they saw the sea gleaming in the distance and smelt the campfire smoke of the Baringa village drifting above the trees below. They quietly climbed down the mountain, hiding in trees and caves until they were near enough to see the comings and goings of the Baringa people. 
After a few hours of watching, Eurong was determined that this was a better land than his and that he was going to take it. He saw the Baringa leader, Wadaro, talking to his warriors. While he was counting them, he noticed how tall and strong the Baringa women were too. They would certainly fight for their land and freedom, he thought, and added them to the warrior number. One woman in particular caught Yorong's eye. She had red flowers in her hair and she always seemed happy. He was so taken with her that he decided that once they had taken the Baringa village that he would make her become his wife. But Yorong and his men didn't get that far for late one night, while one of the women was out walking with her crying baby, she caught a glimpse of the men flitting among the trees. Silently, she raised the alarm, and the Baringa warriors set upon the intruders, killing them all, except for Yurong, who turned and ran. The Baringa men gave chase, staying close at his heels, until suddenly the ground beneath Yurong's feet gave way. Down, down he fell into the darkness of the icy water below. He is gone, said one of the Baringa men, looking down into the river. No man has ever come out of there alive. They watched for a while longer, just to make sure, and then they headed back to their camp, where songs of victory were already ringing out among the trees. But Yorong had not gone. A fast whirlpool had dragged him under the water and had trapped him against a wall of rock. Yorong felt that he was going to drown until he suddenly thought that the strong current of spinning water must be going somewhere. So he dived down deep into the whirlpool and let the water pull him down through a hole at the bottom of the rock. When he emerged on the other side of the rock, he found that the river was slower and shallower, and he managed to swim to the surface. Exhausted and injured, he scrambled out onto the bank and hid himself under a great boulder where he fell asleep. When he awoke, Yurong thought about his murdered warriors and became angry. He was determined to have his revenge, so he planned to take Wadaro's beloved daughter, Miraga. He secretly returned to the Baringa camp and hid behind a tree, waiting for an opportunity to grab Miraga. He waited for days because Miraga always seemed to be with the leader of the fighting men, a young man called Konawa. They were obviously in love. Yurong knew that he must be patient and wait even longer until she was alone. One evening, his chance arrived while the young Baringa girls were out in the forest digging for yams. Each girl was carrying a yam stick and a dillybag made of net. Miraga's dillybag was very special to her as it had been given to her by Konawa and was woven from red and white rushes. She was daydreaming about Konawa as she walked through the trees, unaware that she was wandering away from the other girls and that she was being followed. When she was completely alone, Yurong took his chance and grabbed Miraga. 
For the following days and nights, they travelled north over the mountains and rivers towards his camp. And at night, while they slept, he tied her hands and feet with rope so that she couldn't run away. But all the time, Moraga knew that her father would be looking for her, so she would deliberately slow their progress by pretending to be tired and weak. But as the days went by and no help came, her hope began to fade. Darkness was falling and Yurong decided to make a camp for the night. Moraga looked down into the valley and saw the Burin village. She knew that by the next morning all hope would be gone and she lay down and cried herself to sleep. She was woken up a short while later by the sound of quiet squeaking next to her ears. This was accompanied by the sound of tiny pattering feet. Who is it? she whispered. A tiny voice answered. Mistress, oh mistress, lie very still and we will set you free. She recognised the voice instantly as her little mouse friend Paddy Paddy. She looked up and saw that Kanungo the kangaroo rat and Tolka the bandicoot were there too. Then lots of small feet scurried over her. They nibbled furiously at the strips of rope that tied her wrists and ankles. Moraga was terrified that Yurong would wake up and catch them, but he slept soundly. At last, the rope fell apart, freeing Moraga, and she escaped into the mountain forest. But not long after, Yurong opened his eyes and discovered that she was gone. Furious, he sprang to his feet. Then, for a moment, he stood silently still and listened to see if he could hear anything. A twig snapped in the distance. He ran towards it, even though it was so dark he could barely see his hand in front of him. There it was again, another twig breaking in two. Yurong ran towards the noise, but suddenly felt himself plunging off the edge of the cliff. He screamed as he disappeared into the deep ravine, where soon he made no more sound. At the top of the cliff, three bandicoots emerged from a heap of dry sticks. How clever I am, laughed one of them, snapping a third twig under his foot. Come on, we must find our mistress. Moraga had reached the edge of the forest, which was a little brighter due to the full moon in the sky. She looked out and saw a great mountain peak in front of her, so she decided to climb it to see if she could see her way home. Up and up she went, clambering over great boulders and working her way around jagged crags of rock until she eventually reached the clouds. And even then she carried on climbing until she was so high that she realised that she was walking across the surface of the moon. Moraga felt very alone and more than a little scared about who she might meet up there. She saw the earth glowing in the distance like a star and she sat and watched with sorrow. She was overjoyed when a group of small animals scurried up to her and said, We will keep you company until you find your home. How did you know that I was lost? She asked with surprise. How did we know? 
they said. Why, all the forest is singing about you. The magpie chatters about you in the dewy mornings, and Mocha Moko the bellbird told the mountain streams, who carried word of it through the land. There isn't an animal in all the bush that is not following your journey. Are my people looking for me too? Moraga asked excitedly. They seek you night and day, said the little creatures. Your father led a party of fighting men east, while Konawa went north with his friends. They say that they will not rest until they find you. Oh, can you take me home? she begged. I do not know the way. But the little animals shook their heads. We cannot do that, they said. We can keep you from danger and talk to you, but you must find the way home yourself. So for days, Moraga walked on through the desolate, silent moon country, living on the berries of small trees. There were no rivers or creeks or any plants up there, and she began to give up hope of ever seeing life again. Then she happened upon a camp. It was the home of Galindi, the spirit of the moon. When she saw the moon spirit staring at her angrily, Moraga cried out in fear and ran. Galindi chased her, but he was so fat and lazy that he was unable to keep up, so he called out to his dogs. Over the hills towards them ran a pack of hungry-looking brutes. They sniffed at the air, and when they picked up Moraga's scent, they ran after her, howling so loudly that the echoes shook the moon and stars like thunder. Mistress! Oh, mistress! cried the little animals. They were hiding in her dilly bag as she ran. Let us out and we will save you! With shaking fingers, she dropped the bag to the ground and the animals scampered out. They ran in different directions, making as much noise as possible to distract the moon dogs. Their plan worked, for when they saw the little creatures, the dogs stopped chasing Moraga and chased them instead. The spirit of the moon shouted at them to come back, but they didn't take any notice, and Moraga got away. Although the dogs were no longer chasing her, Moraga continued to run until, dizzy with tiredness, she passed out and stumbled over the edge of the mountain. When she regained consciousness, she felt the warmth of someone's arms holding her. She opened her eyes and saw that it was Konoa and that gathered around them was the rest of her tribe. The fall had brought her back to the earth world. She was home and her sorrows were at an end. From that day forward, whenever the Baringa people looked up at the night sky, they would say to their children, Look, there goes the mighty spirit of the moon. But Moraga would tell her children a different story. She would point to the moon and say, Look, can you see the dark spots in the middle of the brightness? They are the dogs that guard the spirit of the moon. Then she would go on to tell them of the brave, heroic little animals who lived up there too, who saved her life. <laughs>